Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Here it is again. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, some weeks. The week seems to choose its own theme. I don't mean music. I mean thematic framework. Never understood. Uh, when I was in university and college, uh, too many of my professors used to talk about, this is a conceptual framework. And that really is why I quit graduate school. Anyway, the week, I think this week has chosen its own theme. Data point one, you might say. There's a woman on the cover of New York Magazine. Right about now. They've uh, published an excerpt from her book, that is to say, a former serpent, in which uh, she lists the worst men that she's uh, ever known. And on that list is a guy who she says uh, raped her in the dressing room of the lingerie department of Bergdorf Goodman Department Store in the late 1990s in New York City. Fell by the name of the President of the United States. Uh, now, he says, in rebuttal, that's a word I chose deliberately, rebuttal, that um, couldn't be, it's fake news, A. Well, that's, you know, if you wake him up, it's fake news. That's the first thing. Ah, fake news. But... Secondly, that there, oh, it's impossible that there would be no witnesses and no, no, nobody would. <laughs> to which a, uh, a good friend of this program said, au contraire, um, danger seeking guys would often find the dressing rooms of hoity toity department stores just the perfect place to uh, make a move, bring a friend. So there's that. Here in London, whence this program is originating this week, Boris Johnson, the odds-on favorite up to now to be the next uh, leader of the Conservative Party and hence the next Prime Minister of, this, of Great Britain, uh, was revealed on Friday to have had a shouting match about midnight in his home with his female companion, a lot of banging. Um, at one point, she yelled, get off me, which you can understand. Um, and the neighbor um, made a recording of it on his phone and called the police. Now it's come out today that that neighbor is a, a leftist. Boris is, of course, conservative. Uh, so it's it's all political now, but really... Get off me, were the words he said that uh, struck him, uh, made him want to start recording. And then there's Mark Field, also here in London, a member of the uh, soon-to-be bye-bye cabinet, who was speaking at a uh, hoity-toity dinner. There's that, there's that uh, compound word again, hoity-toity, word of the week. And this was a dinner in the city of London, which is not what you and I, ladies and gentlemen uh, of the great United States of America, think of as London. London is a big, sprawling metropolis of a number of boroughs, or boroughs, as they say here. The city of London is an enclave within that that 
runs itself according to its own set of rules dating back to the 16th century. If you want to know more, it's really fa- it's where the financial shenanigans all take place. And if you want to know more about it, Nicholas Shaxon, who I interviewed on this program, wrote in his excellent book, Treasure Islands, about the city of London. And you'll, you'll realize what a, what a nutty place it is. Anyway, uh, all the high and mighty people were there for a dinner at Mansion House. <laughs> and not McMansion House, but proper Mansion House. Um, and the Chancellor of the Exchequer equivalent to the United States' Department of Treasury Secretary, was uh, delivering a speech. Everybody's in black tie. And then these women in red evening gowns come in. And they're climate uh, activists, people who are saying, wait a minute, pay attention to this climate emergency. Now, they got in. You'd think there'd be security to keep 40 protesters outside uh, coming in keep him outside of a hoity-toity dinner. But no, so they get in, and one of them rushes towards the uh, head table, and she's stopped by a member of the now soon-to-be uh, ex-cabinet, Mark Field, who grabs her by the neck and pushes her, frog-marches her, according to the BBC, out the door. And he has been suspended from the cabinet. We don't know if he'll be reinstated in time for the whole cabinet to leave. But uh, I, I, I was uh, stubborn enough to tease out a theme connecting all those disparate stories. I have no idea if you'll guess what the theme is until I say hello, welcome to the show. If you travel down life's highway and find it awfully grim, the message of this story should light up things when they are new. It tells you this and that, which simply never can be done. Especially the no-no that is no-no number one. You can't pick your nose with a cricket back. You can't boil it in glue. You can't brush your teeth with an angry cat. You know what'll happen if you do. You can't mend wellies with cheese on toast, so shout all over town. You can't stop a train with a rolling bin, and you can't keep a good girl down. You can't keep a good girl, keep a good girl, you can't keep a good girl down. You can't keep a good, can't keep a good, no, you can't keep a good girl down. No matter if she's humble or blazing with renown. You can't keep a good girl, keep a good girl, you can't keep a good girl down. That's right. In a frigid dare, you can't make a five and jump. You can't have a snooze on a prickly pear, play hockey with a camel's hump. You can't play chess with a kangaroo, so shout all over town. You can't stop a train with a rolling pin, and you can't keep a good girl down. You can't keep a good girl, keep a good girl, you can't keep a good girl down. You can't keep a good, can't keep a good, no, you can't keep a good girl down. No matter if she's humble or blazing with renown, you can't keep a good girl, keep a good girl, you can't. Keep a good girl, keep a good girl, you can't keep a good girl down. You 
From London Town, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen. A house is a very, very, very smart house. What you're about to hear has not been manipulated by me in any way, shape, or form. It's a been on the internet so you can check that for yourself this is 100% real and it's a tribute to just how smart a smart house can be welcome to C by GE smart tips we're going to show you how to factory reset your C by GE bulbs which will unpair your bulb from other devices and apps that it's connected to there are two factory reset processes which depend on the generation of bulbs and the firmware you're running on. Here's the first process, designed for bulbs with this package or for firmware version 2.8 or later. Start with your bulb off for at least five seconds. Then turn on the bulb for eight seconds. Turn off for two seconds. Turn on for 8 seconds. Turn off for 2 seconds. Turn on for 8 seconds. Turn off for 2 seconds. Turn on for 8 seconds. Turn off for two seconds. Turn on for eight seconds. Turn off for two seconds. And then turn it on one last time. The bulb will flash on and off three times to show that the reset was successful. If it doesn't, your bulb may be running on an older version of firmware and will need to try the second factory reset process which is designed for C by GE bulbs with this package or for firmware version 2.7 or earlier. Ready? Okay, start with your bulb off for at least five seconds. Then turn on the bulb for eight seconds. Turn off for two seconds. Turn on for two seconds. Turn off for two seconds. Turn on for two seconds. Turn off for two seconds. Turn on for two seconds. Turn off for two seconds. Turn on for eight seconds. Turn off for two seconds. Turn on for eight seconds. Turn off for two seconds, and then turn it on one last time. The bulb will flash on and off three times if it has been successfully reset. For more smart tips about our smart products, go to cbyge.com. And that's all there is to it, really. 
Real time, ladies and gentlemen. It took that much time to reset your bulb. I prefer the new firmware. I don't know about you. I just, I like the eight seconds more than the two seconds. But now, on the same subject, what's holding back mass adoption of smart home technologies? It's not me asking it. It's informationage.com. I didn't realize it's being held back. If I, if I didn't have such a small audience, I'd feel powerful right now. Mass adoption of smart home technologies is lagging, says Information Age, as consumers struggle to understand their value propositions. According to analysts from the DOC, the uh, R&D and Global Information Center of the consulting firm Accenture, the emergence of consumer reticence, I think you mean hesitance, or hesitancy, comes from a tendency for companies to take a product-focused approach instead of a human-centric one, a failure to grasp a comprehensive understanding of people's needs in the home. Smart home technologies can be around, uh, have been around for a while. However, only in recent times, thanks to significant technological advancements, have they become a real force to be reckoned with. I'm reading this now. Don't think I'm saying this. I'm reading this. With hopes of driving competitive advantage and generating revenue, Industries such as energy utilities and telcos have hopped aboard the smart home bandwagon. Despite this high level of buzz and the technical innovations pouring out of startups, consumer electronics producers, as well as companies with no prior experience in devices and sensors, the industry as a whole is failing to meet expectations. Smart home initiatives appear to be stuck in project mode. Consumer adoption is slow. Okay. Now, global research, which the doc people directly observed, 40 people in their homes, and quantitative research, 6,000 individuals across 13 geographies to look at consumers' behaviors and routines and how the influence of emerging technology impacts their identity and motivations. So here are main conclusions. The future home is an attitude. Not a technology. The doc found people are spending more time at home than ever. Because fewer of them are working. Uh, This is why it's essential to understand better their behavior and the opportunities it presents. The portfolio director at the doc, when you uh, were with your guidance counselor in high school, did they tell you you could grow up to be a portfolio director? Says, smart home technology is typically aimed at making life more efficient, but really it needs to think about making people more comfortable. Unquote. Respondents universally describe their home as a place of comfort, safety, and being in control. These words held very different meanings to people. For example, some respondents feel safer in their home thanks to technology. Others don't identify sex uh, tech with being safe at all. Product developers will have to take this on board. The doc also found product developers may be thinking about the routines of consumers all wrong. Originally, we assumed this is the... Uh, Interaction and Service Design Director at the doc. Here's another one for your guidance counselor. Originally, we assumed that as people bought, brought technologies into their homes, their routines would change. However, we found this is not the case. People still get up in the morning, have breakfast, brush their teeth, and go to work. It's just the tools they use that are changing, unquote. When you assume this is an important insight, says informationage.com, because it suggests that people don't want their routines to be altered. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point to draw from that. 
With emerging tech comes emerging tensions. The market has long been aware that people feel both more connected and more isolated thanks to smart home technology. These are firmly rooted. Other tensions, but these and other tensions are firmly rooted, and it draws fresh surprising conclusions, as the report, about what they mean for the smart home market. Many respondents appreciate that technology makes their life easier. Some worry that it will also make them lazier. And typical customer archetypes are wrong, according to the director of this research. It's apparent that in a world of hyper-personalization, there's no such thing as an archetypal future home customer. For example, an 18-year-old could have the same mindset or attitude towards a piece of technology as a 65-year-old. Huh. Despite being among the most savvy consumers of tech out there, millennials are more nervous than any other age group about using smart home technology. Two in five said they are fearful that smart devices in their homes know too much about them, compared to just 36% of 45- to 64-year-olds. The over-65s surveyed are most likely to trust that their information is being collected and stored securely. Now, they also trust their doctors. Um, So that's why you're not adopting smart home technology. It's not the difficulty of resetting your light bulb. See? You were wrong again. But you're getting smarter. And now... News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Ebersole, Jr. Well, let's go to Calgary, Canada, where they made a bid for the Olympics and then changed their mind when the voters said, What are you, crazy? Calgary City Council has closed the door on its scrapped bid to host the 2026 Winter Games. Some of the members of the City Council were left with lingering questions, according to CBC News. The Council voted this week to return 482000 U.S. dollars in unspent money set aside for the bid exploration to the reserve fund and to receive the final report on the project. The bid exploration, they never actually bid, cost the city nearly $7 million Canadian over three years, including half a million on advertising and a quarter of a million on excess costs above what the province earmarked to be spent on the plebiscite, the vote. For those of you who don't speak Canadian. One council member suggested the total number might be a bit short, questioning why the city's cost didn't include all of the hours of city staff time used to create the documents associated with the bid. It didn't include much of the time put in to create the total of 398 documents and reports related to the games. Of those, 39 were initially kept confidential. Some of those will be released to the public online in the next few days. The others? Well, two members of the council said more transparency is needed. Now that everything is done, I think we should release everything. 
said Council Member Chu. They didn't vote on that. And this is the uh, reaction from No Calgary Olympics, the group set up to make sure there is no Calgary Olympics. Nowhere in the reports the council received this week is an assessment of how well the time and money were invested, what could have been approved, lessons learned for future mega projects or high-risk pursuits, or how benefits cited in the report will be realized. Nowhere is a reflection on reasons not to pursue an Olympic bid, particularly what was learned about the attributes of an acceptable project partner for Calgarians. In the report, like the bid development process, opportunity costs are left out. For more than a year, no Calgary Olympics was complaining about the opportunity cost of a bid, what would not be accomplished in the city because of the distraction of chasing the Olympics. that you're chasing it's a movement and we all need one every day and now ladies and gentlemen news of the warm won't you just chill a little bit the news of the warm soft listen Era spy satellite images are showing scientists that glaciers on the Himalayas are now melting about twice as fast as they used to. Sit down, relax, have a Himalayan melt. The Asian mountain, mountain range, which includes Everest, of course, with that crowd of climbers, has been losing ice at a rate of about a percent a year since 2000, according to a study published in the journal Science Advances. The amount of ice lost is scary, but what is much more scary is the doubling of the melt rate, says a glacier researcher at Columbia University. The Himalayas, Himalayas, it's part of an area referred to as the third pole because it has so much ice, has only 72% of the ice that was there in 1975. It has been losing about 8.3 billion tons of ice a year. Recently compared to 4.3 billion tons between 1975 and 2000. The Himalayan melt so far doesn't contribute much to sea level rise because it's dwarfed by the melting in Greenland and Antarctica. But the loss of the ice means current and future disruptions of water supplies, both surges and shortages for hundreds of millions of people in the region who rely on it for hydropower, agriculture, and drinking. Disaster is in the making here, said the study co-author Jorg Schaefer a climate geochemistry professor at Columbia. Scientists lack critical data on ice in the Himalayas until Maurer found once-classified 3D images from U.S. spy satellites that had been put online. That's where 3D went. They're the only people who, who went with the 3D thing, the spies. It's nice to know somebody fell for that scam. 
Dateline London permafrost at outposts in the Canadian Arctic is thawing 70 years earlier than predicted. More melt. This is the latest sign the global climate crisis is accelerating even faster than scientists had feared. Now, this, ladies and gentlemen, goes into the file of the um, climate denialists have been painting scientists all these years as alarmists. Now it appears they weren't alarmist enough. A team from the University of Alaska at Fairbanks, where else would you put the University of Alaska, said they were astounded by how quickly a succession of unusually hot summers had destabilized the upper layers of giant subterranean ice blocks that had been frozen solid for millennia. What we saw was amazing, said a professor of geophysics at the university. It's an indication the climate is now warmer than at any time in the last 5,000 or so years. Governments are meeting in Bonn this week to try to ratchet up ambitions in the United Nations climate negotiations. The team's findings, published in Geophysical Research Letters, offers a further sign of a growing climate emergency. He um, and colleagues visited an area in uh, the Canadian Arctic, driving there, uh, dry, diving through uh, a modified propeller plane, through a lucky break in the clouds, he and his colleagues said they were confronted with a landscape that was unrecognizable from the pristine Arctic terrain they had encountered during initial visits a decade or so earlier. It's a canary in the coal mine, says the co-author of this study. It's very likely this phenomenon is affecting a much more extensive region, and that's what we're going to look at next. Rapid uh, sci- Scientists are concerned about the Stability of permafrost because of the risk that rapid thawing would release vast quantities of heat-trapping gases, mainly methane, unleashing a feedback loop that would in turn fuel even faster temperature rises. It uh, threatens the viability of industrial civilization in the Northern Hemisphere, they say. The southern Indian city of Chennai, formerly Madras, So now you're wearing Chennai shirts. It's in crisis after its four main water reservoirs ran completely dry. The acute water shortage has forced the city to scramble for urgent solutions, including drilling new boreholes. Residents have had to stand in line for hours to get water from government tanks. Restaurants have closed due to the lack of water. The city is India's sixth largest. It's been in the grip of a severe water shortage for weeks. Clashes have broken out between residents. Too bad nobody warned us about that kind of stuff. A warming climate and bigger corn yields mean Midwestern corn growers who today rely on rainfall to water their crops will need to switch to irrigation by mid-century if current trends continue. That might set off a battle royale for dwindling water supplies, according to new research released this week. Trends toward hotter, drier weather in the Midwest's United States, stemming from climate change, and... Simultaneously, the presence of bigger, more productive corn plants will draw more more moisture out of the plants, resulting in increased water use and water loss through plant leaves, according to the study. Published in the journal Ecosphere, without comparable increases in rainfall, corn growers who currently water their fields with rainwater will have to irrigate them, depleting aquifers, disrupting streams and rivers, and exacerbating already tense water disputes between farmers and cities and those interested in wildlife much like what's been going on in California and the Southwest for years. Some people dreamed of turning the Midwest into something more like California. 
Well, here it is. And uh, the uh, melting of the permafrost is revealing hidden secrets, Pleistocene fossils, and the possibility of massive carbon and methane emissions, as well as toxic mercury and ancient diseases. News of the warm, ladies and gentlemen. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Shines bright on my old Kentucky home and the young folks roll on the floor. The sun shines bright on my old Kentucky home. Keep them hot times away from my door. Brother Gene was big and mean and it didn't have much to say. producer is giving Rap Sheet a whole new meaning. Can't be nothing but inside extra access tonight for late June 2019. Hi everybody, I'm Mike DeVere Barroso. And I'm Pat Mungo, just out from BHAB. The television cop show is as old as television itself, although the cop show itself is older. And through the years, TV cop shows have tried to stay up with changing times and a changing culture. Boy, have they succeeded. Think of Mod Squad in the 60s, Hill Street Booze in the 80s, NYPD Blue in the 90s, and too many more to look up. But think of them, too. Now the torch is being passed to the hip-hop generation, at least on screen. Behind the scenes, TV veterans are handling the flaming objects. I cut my teeth, you might say, on Hollywood dentists. It was the first of what Variety said might be a a new wave of gums and guns dramas. Mindy Oikroyd is a longtime TV showrunner. Unfortunately, it got a terrible time slot on ABC at a time when nobody was watching even the good time slots on ABC. Anyway, you survive... And you hang on until something special comes along. And I do think this 
it's that time. Ernest Kid Ernie Pereira was working at an online magazine about hip-hop culture, The Slice, when the idea first arrived in his brain's inbox. I had seen the Mod Squad on one of those cable channels that just spits out the old TV shows nonstop. And my first feeling was, yo, this is what hip-hop culture so totally is not. And uh, my second thought was, yo, but it sure could be. I took a meeting with Kid Ernie. Uh, my assistant said he knew what was hot with the kids and the urbans. And he talks to me for like a minute, a minute and a half. And three words pop into my head. Hip Hop Cops. Sydney Plant Gloss is head of production for Walmart's new entry into streaming TV services, Shiny. The premise uh, kind of wrote itself, which is lucky because, to be totally honest, I'm no writer. Although I did take a created by credit. But we're not reinventing anybody's wheel here. It's three guys. Well, we changed it to two guys and a woman. They were rappers. They got busted. And now they're working with the cops. Simple. But... You know, like they say, it's all in the execution. I mean, the, the cops don't say that, but we do. I had just finished season four of Doctor's Wives for a Canadian network, and I was up for a challenge. Sid told me my first challenge was coming up with someone besides Kid Ernie who spoke the lingo of the culture. I kind of grew up in that world. Langston Jamal Oliver is assistant senior creative consultant for Hip Hop Cops. I mean, not actually in that neighborhood, but... Just adjacent, you know, like right up against it. I got by because, you know, I'm I'm six seven two fifty, and people would call me Little Shack or something. But you know, the characters on this show have to keep it real, because despite what people say, the audience out there is smart. And every day in the writers' room, L.J. sets us just a little straighter. Well, I mean, they had B.J. the female cop saying "fa shizzle" in one script. And I just had to weigh in and say, you know, the 90s want their slang back. You know, I hated to do it, but that's why they pay me big bank. Hip-Hop Cops hasn't been cast yet, but four scripts have already been written. Inside Extra Access Tonight was allowed to exclusively eavesdrop on our recent table reading of one of the scripts called Boys in the Hoodie. Listen, this is my precinct. I'm responsible for what happens here. Chief, you're tripping. I can't just go out into the street and start asking peeps who stole Easy Z's concert proceeds. That's clowning. Lil Compton, around here, we call that policing. We'll follow the story of hip-hop cops on its journey to your eyeballs. Keep them glued right here. That seals it for this edition. But Inside Extra Access tonight comes steaming back tomorrow with the results of our latest IEAT poll. We asked if you thought celebrity feuds are real or fake. And the results will have you starting your very own beef. Till then, I'm Pat Mungo. And I'm Mike Devere Barroso. So long from El Segundo.
What's more, I'm wasted and I can't find my way home. Come down on your own, leave your money at home. Somebody's got to change. You are the reason that. of the godly. An unofficial report published this week has concluded that children could have been saved in the Archdiocese of Birmingham. People in the United States would call it Birmingham, but that's in Alabama. This is in Britain, Birmingham. Had the Catholic Church not, quote, repeatedly failed, unquote, to alert police to allegations, or at least to the alligators. Since the mid-1930s, there have been more than 130 allegations of child sexual abuse made against 78 people associated with that archdiocese. At least 13 of them have been convicted in criminal courts. Three others have been cautioned. However, the true scale of offending is likely to be far higher, according to the Independent Inquiry into Child Sexual Abuse, the IICSA. What did it say? I'll tell you as soon as I can get these two pages separated. It said that in some cases the lack of action by the church meant that the abuser was free to continue to commit acts of abuse against children of a sexual nature. The report criticized Cardinal Vincent Nichols, now 73, 
who sits as, uh, currently as the Archbishop of Westminster. Well, he's right over there. He's right near uh, Mansion House. For failing to prioritize the welfare of children over the reputation of the church during his tenure. It found that his reaction to a 2003 BBC documentary led many to think that the church was still more concerned with protecting itself than the protection of children. Huh, who would... And concluded that his response to the screening of that show was, quote, misplaced and missed the point. Following the publication of the report, Professor Alexis J., chair of the inquiry, said, I am, quote, I am truly shocked by the scale of child sexual abuse within the Archdiocese of Birmingham. The number of perpetrators and abused children is likely to be far higher than the figures suggest. Victims and survivors' allegations, continued Professor J., were mostly ignored for years, while perpetrators avoided prosecution. It is clear that the church could have stopped children being abused if it had not been so determined to protect its own reputation. We hope this report will help ensure that that never happens again, unquote. The good chair. I'm ready to uh, propose that the two most fallacious words in the English language are never again. And now... Oh, see, I knew that. Here it is. The Apologies of the Week. Glad I spent all that time over there. We're so sorry. Passengers have been facing delays at Manchester Airport here in Britain after an IT failure prevented many from checking in at all three of the airport's terminals. Some travelers said they've been waiting to check in for more than three hours with long queues building up. An airport spokesman said the issue had been resolved, saying... Quote, we apologize to our passengers for the inconvenience. Some airlines try to check people in manually, that is to say once a year, but uh, they've been working through a backlog of passengers after the issue is resolved. 83 years after the fact, the University of Virginia issued an apology this week for the stereotyping, persecution, and in some cases, state-sponsored sterilization that resulted from the Vermont Eugenics Survey which operated from 1925 to 1936. It, the survey, targeted Native Americans, French Canadians, people of color, and the poor. UVM Professor Henry Perkins directed and founded the effort with support from other leaders of the university, including then-president Guy Bailey. Quote, we recognize and deeply regret this profoundly sad chapter in Vermont and UVM's history, said University President Tom Sullivan. The university trustees have voted to remove Bailey's name from the campus library because of his support for the survey. Don Stevens, chief of the Nulhegan Band of the Kusuk Abenaki Nation, had lobbied Sullivan for the apology. He said it was an important bridge toward healing. His own grandmother was targeted in the survey, but escaped sterilization. Deadline Tucson. Mayor Jonathan Rothschild has apologized for dropping an F-bomb during a recent city council meeting. His off-color remark came during the call to the audience and was caught on video of the June 18th meeting. While waiting for an audience member to speak, he whispered, Why does everybody want us to answer the effing question? Rothschild said he was frustrated because even after he read the rules aloud twice at the meeting, people didn't follow them. The mayor apologized to anyone who might have been offended and said he needs to be more aware and will work to curb his issue of what he called Salty language. He's not running for re-election. Ironically, here in 
proper old Britain after the incident with uh, Boris Johnson's ruckus, midnight ruckus at his house, one uh, prominent member of the Conservative Party was quoted in the newspaper as saying, well, he's effed up already, and he didn't say effed. There you go. And he didn't apologize for his salty language. Dateline Seoul, South Korea. The South Korean government apologized this week for a security lapse that allowed a North Korean fishing boat to spend two and a half days in its waters without being noticed. Bet they'd let 40 women in red evening gowns in, too. What has been revealed so far is enough to cause deep concern among the people, said Prime Minister Lee Nakyon. We offer our deep apologies. During an initial interrogation by the South Korean authorities, two of the four North Koreans said they wanted to defect to the South. The other two were shipped back north. Now to Australia, Wednesday night, the Nine Network. They number their networks there rather than give them initials. How primitive can you get? They have a pop culture show called 20 to 1. It ran a countdown on global crazes. What a nutty feature. The uh, number 18 was a Korean boy band who've broken numerous records and recently played at Wembley Stadium here in London. Right here in London. The presenters described them as, quote, the biggest band you've never heard of. The segment also included comments from a British comedian who said, when I first heard something Korean had exploded in America, I got worried. So I guess it could have been worse, but not much worse, unquote. The show drew the ire of BTS's passionate fans, known as ARMY, who took to Twitter to condemn the comments as racist. The hashtag Channel 9 apologized trended among Australian Twitter users. It's time Australian media learned that their racism and xenophobia isn't acceptable, wrote BTS Australia, a Twitter account. Sure enough, a Nine spokesman issued an apology. As a light-hearted entertainment program, it is our belief that last night's episode of 20 to 1 did not breach any broadcast regulations. It was intended to humorously highlight the popularity of the group. We apologize to anybody who may have been offended by last night's episode. Unquote. ARMY, an acronym for Adorable Representative MC for Youth, are often credited with contributing significantly to BTS's international success. You can't buy... Oh, yes, you can. Actor John Cusack has apologized for sharing a harmful anti-Semitic image on Twitter. Harmful is his word. He shared a meme, since deleted, of a large hand with a Star of David on its wrist, oppressing a group of people. The caption on it read, To learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticize. Unquote. The saying, often misattributed to Voltaire, was in fact spoken by white nationalist Kevin Strom. Cusack added his own comment, Follow the money, before later deleting the post when it attracted criticism. He said he had mistakenly retweeted an alt-right account, believing the image related to an Israeli hospital bombing. Apologizing, Kusak said, It's clear that even if it were Israel's flag, and even if you don't have anti-Semitic bone in your body, it's still an anti-Semitic cartoon. Because it deploys anti-Jewish stereotypes, I retweeted and quickly deleted an image that's harmful to both Jewish and Palestinian friends, and for that, I'm sorry. Supermodel. I feel sorry for the regular models now, because everybody's a supermodel. Supermodel Bella Hadid posted an apology to her Arab followers across her social media feeds after her Sunday Instagram story sparked outrage. A since-disappeared Instagram story showed her shoe facing a row, a row of planes, including one from Saudi Arabia and one from the Arab Emirates, along with the caption, Another one! Showing the sole of your shoe is an insult in Arab culture. The photo has been perceived as showing Hadid kicking the planes. 
The photo of my shoe in my store yesterday had nothing to do with politics, she said. I have never and will never be one to talk down on these countries, only to spread love and the true beauty of them as the way I was taught by my tata and my father. This was an honest mistake on an early morning. Never, ever would I intentionally try to offend anyone like that. I am so sorry. Heart emoji. Deadline St. Paul, the research director and deputy communications director for Minnesota's Democratic Farmer Labor Party, has apologized for a tweet. Davis, William Davis posted a response to another tweet about the new launching of a aircraft carrier, I guess, USS Minneapolis-St. Paul, calling it a murder boat. He apologized to a Navy veteran. A Southern Ontario, Canada University and a Canadian musician have apologized for what they call un- unacceptable and inappropriate remarks made at convocation ceremony. Western University said comments made by composer and pianist Stefan Mocio were not aligned with the school's values. Please align with our values. Thank you. Honorary degree recipient Mocho made comments that were unacceptable and not in keeping to a respectful learning and working environment, said the statement. He received an honorary doctorate of music. Mocho recalled his time as a student at Western when he drove up to the university and saw a sign that said, quote, Thank you, fathers, for dropping off your virgin daughters, unquote. His comments were met with awkward laughter from the audience. The university's president released a statement saying that Mocho's speech went against the university's commitment to creating a safe and respectful environment. Mocho also released a statement apologizing for his comments that he called inappropriate. I realize the words chosen were not only wrong, but undermined decades of work on this very campus to bring justice to important women's issues. Look it up next time, babe. Dayline Topeka, Kansas. The Topeka Police Department is apologizing for an attempt at a humorous Father's Day post. The agency took a lot of heat for the post that joked, parents whose kids' dads use drugs or have broken the law make a memory and celebrate by Father's Day by turning him in. <laughs> Want to give him a Father's Day he'll never forget? Call TPD. We'll help your family make a memory that will last a lifetime. The now-deleted post was, was made on the department's main account. It was removed by the afternoon amid the backlash. This isn't funny, this isn't clever, and a terrible use of a tweet on Father's Day, said one tweeter. The police department posted a Twitter apology. Yesterday, a member of our social media team tweeted on the official account. The tweet was meant to be humorous and lighthearted, but was harmful to some. After realizing this, the tweet was quickly deleted. We would like to sincerely apologize for this mistake. This will be a learning experience and goes to show that words, even when intended to be humorous, can be hurtful to others. You didn't know that before? To pick a police department. California Governor, yes, there's a lot of apologies this week. California Governor Gavin Newsom this week apologized to Native Americans for violence and other wrongdoings they suffered during California's history and called their mistreatment genocide. Duh. In an executive order, he called for the creation of a Truth and Healing Council to produce a report before the end of 2024. Really? Think it'll take that long on the historical relationship between the state and Native Americans. He delivered the apology during an appearance with tribal leaders in Sacramento. It's called a genocide. That's what it was, a genocide, he said, citing the $1.3 million in California state funding authorized in the 1850s to subsidize militia campaigns against Native Americans. Uh, he cited an 1851 address to the state legislature by California's first governor, quote, that a war of extermination will continue to be waged between the races until the Indian race becomes extinct must be expected. The first California governor said then. The state of California had never previously formally apologized for its role in wrongdoing against Native Americans. A few more. Stand by. Stay with us.
Casey McDonald of New England Sports Network apologized for an insensitive comment made during a segment of Monday night's Red Sox broadcast. I'd like to take a minute to apologize to our viewers, in particular to those who I offended by an insensitive comment in my report Monday night. She said at the top of the fourth inning of Tuesday's game. There's no excuse for my use of hurtful words, and again for that, I'm truly sorry. She was discussing the minor league baseball fan who recently garnered attention for eating mayonnaise in the stand. She drew backlash for the, referring to the man's top as a, quote, guinea tea, as in T-shirt. Mayor Phoenix called a community meeting, and the police chief apologized amid public, public anger over a viral video showing police pointing a gun at the parents of a four-year-old child over allegations she shoplifted a doll. The father of a victim of the Sandy Hook Elementary School massacre has won a defamation lawsuit against the authors of, book, authors of a book who claimed the shooting never happened. The book Nobody Died at Sandy Hook also has been pulled to settle claims against its publisher, filed by Lenny Posner, whose six-year-old son was killed in the shooting. My face-to-face interactions with Mr. Posner have led me to believe that Mr. Posner is telling the truth about the death of his son, said Dave Gahari, the principal officer and publisher, Moonrock Books, I extend my most heartful and sincere apology to the Posner family. He's been pushing back for years against hoaxers who harassed him, subjected him to death threats, claimed he was an actor, and that his son never existed. And Boeing executives apologized this week to airlines and to families of victims of crashes of the company's 737 MAX jetliners in Indonesia and Ethiopia as the U.S. plane struggles to regain the trust of regulators, pilots, and the traveling public. Some victims' families welcomed Boeing's gesture. Others called it too little, too late. Too bad. The apologies of the week, ladies, the apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen. The copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Turn this mic off. Well, just an item from the uh, Inspector General file. Lockheed Martin has failed to supply ready-to-install spare parts for its F-35 fighter. Parts like wheels and tire assemblies, or seats. It now may have been overpaid as much as $10.5 million in bonuses, according to the Department of Defense's Inspector General. Now, they don't have a, a secretary, but they do have an Inspector General. It happened because the Pentagon's F-35 program office didn't conduct adequate oversight of contractor performance. Why would you, really, when you're the Defense Department?
Hey, sit down there, folks. Sit down. All right, the crowd's getting a little rowdy here, ladies and gentlemen. I think it's time to close up shop. Time, gentlemen, time. Didn't they used to call that here? Yeah. And you, madam, have drunk too much. Ladies and gentlemen, that is indeed the end of this edition of the show. But it's not the end of the show. No, there's more. Next week, same time on the radio. Time of your choice on your audio device of choice. It's all about choice. Except in Alabama. And it would be just like not being in Alabama if you'd agree to join with me then. Would you already? Thank you very much. Uh Uh-huh. A tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead, to Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans, and to Adrian Bodden here at this nutty obsession called Global Radio here in London for help with today's proceedings. The email address for this program, playlist of the music you heard here, and your chance to get Karzai Talk t-shirts. Who doesn't have one of those? All at harryshearer.com. And I'm on Twitter, at the Harry Shearer. Okay, everybody out. Come on, you too. Come on. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from London Town.